I have to say, throughout my uh, life, lots of people have called me a maverick. I've never felt a maverick. I've, I've always felt a, a, a most a pioneer. I like creating a new pathway, a new hope, a new opportunity. This is a podcast about one of the most extraordinary humans I've ever met. I revealed in previous episodes of the podcast how, in November 2017, Peter Scott Morgan was diagnosed with motor neuron disease, also known as ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. MND is the incurable disease the scientist Stephen Hawking had. Peter is a scientist too, with a doctorate in robotics. Now, like Hawking's did, Peter's body is shutting down and Peter intends to replace it with robotics, becoming the world's first full cyborg, part human, part machine. Soon I won't be able to walk, talk, eat or breathe. I intend to throw technology at this. I don't see myself in some sort of a wheelchair. I see myself in an exoskeleton, maybe with robotic arms, with voice vision upgrades, and ultimately with my brain interfacing directly into a computer. This is serious cyborg territory, and I intend to be a human guinea pig to see just how far we can turn science fiction into fact. In this third and final episode of the podcast, we'll be alongside Peter as he moves into completely new territory, as he stops being a lone pioneer and instead convinces some of the biggest tech companies in the world to join the development of Peter 2.0, which is what he calls his cyborg. As a result, progress accelerates. But so does Peter's MND. It's a race against time. So I'm getting a closing window, but I see more and more things that if only I work hard enough and bright enough, come up with enough good ideas, persuade enough people to uh, try the research that we can do some really, really interesting things. And actually, there is a heck of a lot of work uh, to be done. Everyone needs to be uh, coordinated for a variety of reasons, quite rightly. That starts focusing exclusively on me. I'm the weak link. This is the time where sometimes the inaction ends up causing the whole project to go wrong. Those that are involved don't even really know each other, have never worked together, have never integrated the equipment, and all the things that I'm asking to be done have never been done before, and I can't look around and find out how do we do this. By the end of the winter of 2018, Peter's MND is already making it hard for him to breathe. The progression of MND uh, continues, and uh, as you can probably tell, my my lung capacity is a lot lower. It sounds like I can't speak, but actually I just can't draw enough breath anymore. It's lung failure that eventually kills many with MND. Peter is finding it harder to breathe because his upper body is becoming paralysed. He's also losing the ability to swallow, so there's a risk saliva, or even particles of food, instead of going into his stomach, 
will run into his lungs. This could, eventually, give him fatal pneumonia. But Peter has an ingenious solution to prevent this. He'll reroute his throat, disconnecting his lungs from his mouth. After this laryngectomy, he'll breathe through a tube that emerges above his chest. But Peter will never speak again. When Peter meets the NHS consultant who's agreed to perform this radical operation, I'm there listening in on what I discover to be a fascinating conversation, if a little gory. The consultant is called Philip Rees. Hello, Philip. Good to see you again. And you. It starts off with a big old cut, as you can imagine. So from about there, around here to about there. Philip runs his finger along the line where he'll cut Peter's throat open. I personally like there's the, where the stoma, the hole is. Yeah. I make that separate from the, the big incision. Ah. So I, I've never had a problem with that. And it heals nicely. Philip explains that the op itself is fairly straightforward and only a couple of hours long. However, Philip wants to be sure that Peter understands the impact of having his voice box removed. It isn't for everyone. Of course not. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to go through. I have, uh, over the years, had a number of patients who would rather die of cancer than, than have laryngectomies. But Peter isn't put off. And with no time to lose, he agrees to set a date for the operation in the upcoming autumn. October the 10th, 2019. That's when Peter will lose the ability to speak. Amazingly, Peter is cheerful, optimistic even, when he signs the consent form in Philip Reese's office. Peter's husband, Francis, helps him to hold the pen and also jokes about the awful handwriting they produce together. But speaking outside the hospital, Francis seems more tentative about the future. It is a lot to come to terms with. I think it makes you value your relationship more because doors close more and you know our challenge is to try to keep some open as much as we possibly can. Peter is already working all hours to meet his near impossible deadline but with what at first seems to me foolhardiness Peter decides to open another front. He begins a campaign to shake up what he calls as the medical establishment's pessimism about life with motor neurone disease. Every one of them assume that the thought of being locked in is the most awful thing in the world. And I want to give them an idea that actually there are options where previously they thought there were none. Peter launches his campaign with a carefully worded speech to an audience of MND specialists. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, it is an absolute joy to be here today. It is an interesting time. And yes, in a few years' time, I will likely be fully paralysed, yet my brain fully active. But I'm not going to turn away and pretend it's not coming. I'm not going to keep looking back and I'm certainly not going to fear it. I still believe that if only we are smart enough and 
brave enough and throw enough technology at things, then whatever fate throws at us, we can still change the future and change the world. And long after I am locked in, let me now show you why I will still be standing tall. At this point, Peter presses the lever on his wheelchair and, motors whirring, he begins to stretch out his body. In a previous episode of this podcast, Peter demonstrated the extraordinary ability of his specially designed wheelchair, which allows him to stand even though his legs are now useless. He does so again now. And as he rises upright, so does his audience. Thank you. The speech seems to have been a complete triumph. But I can't help wondering how that will aid Peter. These are not people who can help him build his cyborg. On the other hand, this is the medical establishment, and here he is telling them he wants to do things differently. Then I remember a very revealing interview Peter gave at the beginning of this whole project. He linked what he's doing now with his early awakening of his sexuality. I was immensely lucky, um, uh, including uh, growing up gay in the 70s. Didn't feel like it at the uh, time, but with hindsight, it meant that A, I built a very thick skin, and B, I got very used to being a sort of outsider looking in, not feeling that I had to fit, because for a long time the word was telling me, you really, really don't fit. Um, and really since my teens, I've never felt the need to conform just for the sake of conformance. I've often fitted in for my job or because I thought it was very sensible reasons, but never only because, oh, well, that's what everyone's doing. So actually that's been quite helpful uh, for every step of my career. I've tended to be doing things that were a bit different, things that were not the norm, and sometimes that pays off. And I guess what I find myself doing now is just slightly breaking the rules, just like I have for the last 40 years. But there's no escaping the schedule. By early 2019, Peter has just 10 months before he loses his voice. In the name of expediency, he's forced to prioritise the innovations of his cyborg. He shelves the exoskeleton and the autonomous capability of his vehicle. Between now and October the 10th, he will focus almost exclusively on giving his cyborg the ability to communicate in such a way that his personality will be as forceful as ever. If I didn't have faith that technology is going to allow me not just to speak, but to interact as a human being, 
this would be a huge deal. Peter's faith is also supported by a secret weapon. Up till now, he's mostly been a lone pioneer, seeking out allies in various corners of the medical establishment and among like-minded engineers. Then, in early 2019, as a result of his campaign to change attitudes to MND, an international group of scientists meet up to discuss his ideas. In time, this will develop into a charitable foundation that Peter and Francis establish to get tech and engineering companies involved in creating machines that could assist people with extreme disability. We're there at the very beginning of this journey, when Peter and the scientists hold a conference and he gives an inspiring opening speech. What is unique about what we are doing is that we are uniting under a common cause, aligning our combined powers to change things for extreme disability. Among those listening to Peter are leading scientists from all over the world, including artificial intelligence experts from DXC, one of the world's largest IT consultancies, and people from Microsoft and Intel, and Matthew Aylid of Seraproc. He's a world expert in voice synthesis and has taken up the challenge of giving Peter's cyborg a voice that sounds like the real Peter. Another who joins up with Peter is Lama Nachman of Intel. She designed the communication system used by Stephen Hawking when MND robbed him of his power of speech. But Peter wants something way beyond what Hawking had. Hawking's voice response time was too slow for lively conversation. And that's not good enough for Peter, as he explains when he meets Lama. It's a very important social interaction with me. Chatting away. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's slightly blue, pure, silly. You're looking for really that to still be in a conversational Why style where... It still has a very specific set of things that you want, but in the way that it's actually communicated and generated, it's, it feels more of a conversation. When it comes to personality retention, I guess that that probably is the most precious to me and possibly the most authentic. If you want to really continue on this verbal spontaneity, what do you have to give up to be able to achieve that? Right? You can't micromanage. I mean, it's just in the same way that if you work with an assistant, right? If you're going to tell them every single thing and how to do it, you can't be efficient at having that happen. Peter's proposal is breathtakingly bold. In conversation, his cyborg speech won't be controlled by Peter laboriously picking out words with his eyes. The onboard computer will have an artificial intelligence that will learn the sorts of things Peter says. Then speak automatically. Lama agrees this could work. So it just depends on how much control you're willing to give up, really. To the point that you're willing to think about this as not something that you're micromanaging and controlling, 
but something that is relevant and kind of sounds like what you would say. I think if you're willing to give up that level of control, right, then there is much more that can be done. Though most might find it off-putting to abdicate control over their personality to an artificial intelligence, Peter is not like everyone else. It'll still be me, but it'll be a different me. And I will move on too. Another of Peter's bold ideas is his avatar. It will mouth the words Peter 2.0's synthetic voice speaks and frown and smile and project emotions. All the things Peter's real face will no longer be able to do when it's paralysed. To that end, Peter's asked a Hollywood special effects company to create a computer graphic of his face. And they've just emailed through a link to their first test. It's another crucial component of his communication system, sorted. Tenth of October. Peter feels he's done all he can to give his cyborg the ability to communicate. He and Francis go into hospital for the final irreversible step, having Peter's biological voice removed. I'm with them as Peter settles into his hospital room the day before the laryngectomy. I ask how they feel about what's about to happen. It's a, it's a kind of uh, odd combination of uh, uh, emotions, really, because obviously we're going to lose Peter's biological voice, which is horrible. But he's not doing very well at the minute, I know. Uh, but on the other hand, it's, it's a, a life-saving operation. You know, without this operation, he would not survive another winter. But Peter and Francis are clearly thinking of this moment, not just in terms of what's about to happen next, but in the context of everything they've been through together. Think about it. Uh, when we were in our very early 20s, we, got were, a good memory. we were different people. Yeah. In our 30s, our 40s. So we have had an adult lifetime of loving a person who was always slightly changing. So this is just another version which is less common, but certainly just as human. He could be a little more interesting as well. He I could know. be a little more funny. I know, I, yeah. it's all up there. And if you speak <laughs> slower, it gives me a chance to say something. I know. So this is all my life, things, people have said, He's got verbal diarrhea, exactly. Yeah, so now it's a a better place for you. I know. Why did we do this years ago? Throughout the time I've been filming with Peter and Francis, I've never ceased to be impressed and moved by the love they have for each other and the faith they have in each other. Their love and faith is so strong that if one of them ever does begin to doubt, then he is reassured by the other, and the doubt is less of a problem. This is how they have got through life together, and why I believe they will get through what happens next together. I see this in the last few moments before Peter goes under the knife to have his voice removed. Francis leans over Peter's bed and promises what few others would imagine possible just now. 
hope. Just think now from tomorrow we can start planning with that behind us. And that voice will start getting stronger and stronger. And um, no, I think really tapping into that excitement. It's the beginning of a very good new chapter. Then Peter, with Francis following, is wheeled into the operating theatre. He's plugged into the monitoring equipment. Then there are final checks. Okay. That one's just to monitor your oxygen levels, all right? This one, yeah, yeah, left hand. I've got the consent form. Right. Would you like to tell us who you are? I am Peter Bowman, Dark Morgan. So on the consent form, it says total laryngectomy. Is that what you're having done? I am not near. Good. So that's signed by Mr. Reese, the consultant there. And is that your signature there? Yes, the amazing. That'll be good. So I've given you the sort of um, chill out, some chill out stuff, so you might start to feel a bit floaty. Oh, really? So there's nothing exciting to look at on the ceiling. Okay, you're going to come down this side, buddy. That's it. What Peter says next will be the last words he ever speaks. I love you too. Have a nice rest. And here's to the next exciting chapter. The operation to replumb Peter's throat is a success. Within weeks, he's breathing well through the tube that emerges above his chest. But his communication system takes longer to get right, and for a while, he remains mute. But in the spring of 2020 comes the moment of truth. The technology Peter has been working towards since he was diagnosed is arriving at his house in Torbay. It has built-in life support, a communications computer, synthetic voice and avatar. Peter hopes this will be a major breakthrough in living with extreme disability, giving him and all others who are locked in a brighter future. After three intense years, Peter's sci-fi vision is at last becoming reality. This podcast was written and presented by me, Chris Derlacher. The production team was Agatha Mastelesh and Helen McCauley-Stewart. Music composed by Sandy Nutkins. Produced by Bernard P.I. Champong. Executive producer is Pat Young. An unedited production for Cardiff Productions. This podcast was made possible with funding from The Welcome.